Hey guys, welcome to the Frontline Community Church Podcast. My name is David Dorner, and I am the teaching pastor here at Frontline in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and it is so good to be with you. Our mission in this world is to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. So whether you've been following Jesus for a lifetime or if your journey's just begun, we hope that this message will speak powerfully to your heart, that it will reveal something that God desires to cultivate in your life, and that you'll be drawn to the person of Jesus as a result. We hope these next few moments encourage you, challenge you, and inspire you to be who God has created you to be. We hope you enjoy it. Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you, man. Great to have you with us. Man, I I feel like it's been like since last year since I saw you. And uh, I love that joke. It just gets funnier to me every single year. I'm actually already looking forward to telling that joke in 2023. So um, it's great to have you with us if you're joining online as well. And it is a new year and we're excited about that. And with a new year, we're looking at a new series. And so our new series that we're going to be working through is called Pursued. And uh, this series is really, um, it's, it's all about God's pursuit of us. So what we're really doing with this series is we're looking at the big story of the Bible, the, the meta-narrative, if, as some people will call it, the large story of Scripture. And we're actually going to be looking at this for several weeks as we make our journey toward Easter Sunday morning, which uh, Easter Sunday this year is April 17. And so uh, we're going to be um, journeying through the major themes of the Bible uh, for the next a few months here together. And so really, the Bible, what's amazing about it is it's not really a story about people who are looking for God. It's a story about God looking for people, God pursuing people. And the story of Scripture culminates in the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, And really, the story of Jesus is not a story about people who are lost, who are looking for a Savior, The story that culminates in Jesus is a story about a Savior, as Jesus' words put it so succinctly, a Savior who came to seek and to save those who are lost. So we're talking about how God pursues us and what his purpose for us was in all of the scriptures. And so today we're going to be beginning, and for the next few weeks here, starting off this entire journey together, we're going to be looking at the way that we were originally designed. How did God originally design us? How did he create us? How did he create our world for us to live in, in intentional harmony with him, with each other, and with the created world we live in? What was the original plan, the original design? And so to begin that journey today, we're going to start in Genesis chapter 2, which is we're going to begin in the beginning of the Bible. And for those of you, uh, if you don't have a Bible of your own, the, the scriptures are going to appear on the screen behind me in a moment. Uh, but maybe some of you just started joining with us, or maybe you're, you're uh, watching with us online or came to a Christmas service. We would love, actually, if you're here in the room, um, we have Bibles on the racks uh, on, around the room. We would love for you to take one of those. If you don't have a Bible of your own, uh, we would love to gift you with that. You can have that, and that would be you know, an, a great opportunity starting off this new year to have your own Bible and to be able to, to regularly engage with the Word of God on your own. Uh, that would be an awesome thing, and we would be thrilled if you would do that. Um, But Genesis chapter 2, the the Bible really opens with God. It's this creation account of how God creates the heavens and the earth. And in six days, God is creating. And there's this rhythm to it where everything he creates, he sees that it's good. He sees that it's good. And then he creates Adam and Eve to live in intentional harmony with himself and with creation in the garden. And then we get Genesis 2 starting in verse 2. It says, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and he made it, say it together, holy. 
He made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So the first thing that we learn about God in this creation account is that God operates in this rhythm. There's this kind of a rhythm that he operates in and that he set up the world and set up creation and all of us to sort of live in. And that rhythm is called Sabbath. The Hebrew word is literally Shabbat. That's where we get our English word Sabbath from. And so I want to talk for a second, what exactly is Sabbath? Um, because there's a lot of maybe images that are immediately conjured up in your mind when you hear that word. But the Sabbath, uh, just really simply put, is this rhythm. It's six on, one off. Six on, one off. The word Shabbat or Sabbath actually means to cease or to stop. That's what the word means. And so God kind of designed everything to this rhythm where you have, there's six on and one off, six on and one off, six on and one off. That's what Sabbath is. Now, before we get uh, any further, I just want to talk to uh, uh, some of you here. Some of you grew up in a very religious home, in a very religious context. Maybe you're watching online. You grew up in a home where as soon as you say the word Sabbath, immediately the, the reaction is kind of like, ugh. Because the word Sabbath for you meant uh, a list of things that you were not allowed to do on Sunday. Anybody uh, like that? That was the home you grew up in where, man, it was, so that's what the Sabbath is. That's what it conjures up in your mind is immediately there's this list of things you can and cannot do on a Sunday. So I, I hope this morning as we talk about Sabbath, I hope this is going to set you free a little bit because that's not really what the Sabbath is. The Sabbath was not a list of rules of things you were not allowed to do on Sundays, also, if I could for a moment, I want to talk to those of you who are type A personalities. In the room, are there any type A personalities? Uh, anybody besides me? They must have all slept in this morning. Okay, awesome. Um, so if you're a type A personality like me, the tendency, the way you think about Sabbath and rhythm is you think to yourself, I will rest when I get all of my work, what? Done, right? When, when it, all the work is done, that's when I'll finally be able to rest. And what I want to say to you is uh, the Sabbath is not a reward for getting your work done. Any mothers of preschoolers here in the room? If you're a, a, a mother of preschool kids, you know, that have you ever gotten to a point where you've sat and just said, you know what, all the work is done. I'm just, I don't have anything. It's time for me to take a break because everything is done. There's no more work. No, you never get to that point. And so the Sabbath is not a list of rules of what you can't do on Sundays, and it's also not a reward for getting your work all done. The Sabbath is a break right in the middle of the work so that you can align yourself again with God and with his purposes for the world and for you. That's what the Sabbath is. Six on, one off. Six on, one off. And whether the work is done or not, we stop and we take a break and we focus our attention back on God. Now, in those verses we just read, it would be really easy to, to read it and say, okay, so God worked for six days and then he basically was done. And that's actually not true. The Sabbath isn't the end of God working in the scriptures. I mean, God keeps working. He keeps creating. Things keep rolling in the story of the Bible but really what the Sabbath is, is it's the culmination of the creation story. It's the high point. The Sabbath is like the, the climactic moment of the creation story. And the reason we know that that's true is because in those verses we just read, when talking about the Sabbath, 
there is a word that gets introduced to describe the Sabbath that is one of the largest, most important words in all of the Bible and all the scriptures. And the first place it's used, the first time it's used in all scripture is in talking about the Sabbath. And that word is the word holy. It's the Hebrew word kodash. The first place in all of scripture, the word means set apart for a holy purpose, for a God-ordained purpose. That's what holy means. It means to be set apart, to be sanctified. And the first place that it's used in all the Bible is not talking about God, God doesn't sanctify you know, a place like a temple or a church building or some kind of holy, sacred mountain or ground or anything. The first thing God sanctifies is not an object or a piece of clothing or something like that. The first thing in all of Scripture that's talked about as being holy is time, a day, a moment. Now, why is that significant? The reason that's significant is because we're supposed to understand our lives have holy moments, sacred holy moments, and our lives have regular moments. There are holy moments in our lives, and there are kind of regular mundane moments. Let me give you an example. For those of you who are married, there is a reason why you hired a photographer and paid them huge amounts of money to take pictures of you on your wedding day, right? You, you got up, you got dressed, you know, all your family came in, they all got dressed up really fancy, and then you paid this photographer to come and take pictures of you. Why? Because you wanted to remember that moment in your life. You wanted to commemorate it forever, and the reason is because it was a holy moment of your life, right? It was the moment you took your vows, and you committed before God and before your family to, to you know, live with this person for the rest of your life. That was a holy moment. Anyone who's had a child, if you ask them to talk about the day their child was born, if you ask David and Shannon Dorner, who uh, are on our staff, uh, David, they just had a baby a little bit over a week ago. If you were to say, hey, tell me about the day that your son Jordan was born, they're not going to go, um, hold on, I think I've got some notes over here about that. Maybe I could find, maybe if I could find my notes, maybe I could tell you, uh, oh yeah, here it is. No, they're not going to do that. They're just going to start talking about the day, right? If, if I ask you about the day your child was born, you go, oh, well, let me just tell you. And you're just going to be able to go with it. You know, her water broke and then you know, we had to get her to the hospital. and that, You're just going to know it. Why? Because it's a part of you. You remember that day because it's marked you in a way that you wouldn't remember other days. You wouldn't even remember what you did on other days because it was a holy moment of your life. The day you say goodbye to a parent for the last time. The day your child moved out to go to college. Right? These are holy moments of our lives. There are holy moments and there are regular moments. Sometimes we don't actually realize we're in a holy moment until much later looking back on it. Have you noticed that? Sometimes it's not until we have some reflection later where we stop and we actually reflect, we realize, oh, wow, that moment we were in was holy. This past week, my wife Carrie texted me. Um, it was actually uh, one of those Facebook memories that popped up for her this past week. You know how that'll happen? Facebook, if you're on Facebook, it'll pop up these memories of things that you posted. 
And so uh, she sent me this, and, and uh, this is what popped up for her in her memories. This is from, this is what she posted December 28th, 2012. And she says, Aaron, she's, and that Aaron is our third son. Aaron, for the first time in seven years, you asked me for cereal with milk on it. I acted like it was no big deal and like you have eaten that every day, but inwardly, I am celebrating another small miracle in your pretty amazing life. For those of you parents who have no idea why this is a big deal, I am very thankful that you are blessed with kids who might do this naturally. And for those of you who have faced similar challenges, I know you understand how big this is and why I am stopping to celebrate. Sometimes a bowl of cereal can be a holy moment, depending on your context. If you have a special needs child, you understand even just these simple moments, sometimes you need to stop, that's what the word Sabbath means, stop and celebrate. There are holy moments of our lives. There are also regular moments of our lives. Doing the dishes, uh, paying the taxes, um, folding the laundry, cleaning the blood stains out of the carpet again. I was just trying to see if you guys were still awake. You're a little bit sleepy here on the 2nd of January. Uh, no, there, there are regular moments that are just boring moments, mundane moments. You don't remember them. You don't mark them because they aren't meaningful. The, the, the reason I'm telling you all this is because the, the way we were designed, our original design, the way God created us is that we were designed to live with rhythm. We were designed to live with this awareness that there are holy moments and there are regular moments in life. And so the Sabbath is supposed to teach us how to stop and how to mark holy moments and to recognize and to reflect on him and on what he's done and to spend time together, that's what the Sabbath is intended to do. We, our lives are supposed to have rhythm between the holy moments and the regular moments, and Sabbath teaches us this. And when we don't practice Sabbath, when we violate the way God originally designed us to operate and we don't live with any kind of rhythm, we suffer. We struggle. Mentally, physical, physically, socially, emotionally, we struggle when we don't live with that kind of a rhythm. I learned this in 2020. In March of 2020, when the pandemic hit and everything shut down, I was like most of you, uh, I was suddenly at home and my children were at home and we were trying to help them figure out virtual school online. And so what, what I began to notice is, um, man, I was just on all day long, right? I wake up in the morning, immediately I'm on my phone, I'm responding to texts, and then I gotta get my kids set up, right, with their computer, you remember this? It's like, I started to get like, you know, the shakes, like even remembering it. And so you had to get the kids up, and then like my day would just go and go and go, and even till late at night, I'd still be having my phone responding to texts. And about two to three weeks into the pandemic, into the shutdown, I was just fried. I was just burnt out, exhausted. Like mentally, you know, emotionally, I just couldn't deal anymore. And what I started to realize was it wasn't just the work that I was doing that was burning me out. I mean, yes, there was a lot of work leading a church during the midst of a pandemic where there's a million decisions every day and you're trying to figure out stuff you've never done before. There was a ton of work every single day, but it wasn't the work that was exhausting me. In fact, some of the work I was really excited to figure out and to do what was, what was exhausting me was the way in which I was approaching my work. 
Because what would happen is I would wake up in the morning and my day never officially began and my day never officially ended. You know what I'm saying? There was no official start time. There was no official end time. It was just like I was stuck in this endless like Groundhog's Day, if you've ever watched that movie. Every day is exactly the same. and You just kind of go through the same thing and it absolutely fried me and burned me out. And so maybe three or four weeks into the pandemic, I made this kind of discovery, maybe some of you did too, where I realized, okay, I have to actually create artificial start times and artificial stop times for my work, right? So in the morning, I wake up, I, I set my phone aside, I, I'm not checking my phone, I get my coffee, I spend time with my family, I do my devotions, I spend some time with the Holy Spirit, and then I, my workday officially starts, and then at a certain point in the day, my day officially ended. Not because the work was done, but because it was time to stop. And so I would shut the computer and put the laptop, you know, fold it down, and that's it. I'm, not, I'm done. My work day has officially stopped. And when I started creating those artificial start and stop times, and I started having this rhythm to my day, suddenly I could breathe again. <laughs> Right, and suddenly I had energy again, and I could make these decisions, and it wasn't frying me and exhausting me because that's the way we're created to live. We're created to live with rhythm. There are holy moments, sacred moments, and there are regular moments, and we're supposed to live with rhythm between those things. We live in an unprecedented time in human history, and not, I'm not talking about the pandemic. I'm talking about technology. We have created technology that in human history we never had before that has allowed us to be on, accessible, connected at all times. And therefore, every moment in our lives can look exactly the same as every other moment. There's a 24-hour news cycle, and we can get connected to it, and we can know it all the time. We can work all the time. We've created ways, and our culture wants more and more to put more and more things on our calendar. Seven days a week, work, sports, school, kids stuff, extracurricular activities, it's, it's endless. And now, if you've read anything you know, about kind of the way the workforce is changing as a result of the pandemic, what, what they're saying is more and more jobs in the future are going to be remote, right? They're going to be work from home. And so more and more, uh, we're going to be living in these environments where kind of we don't have a beginning or an ending to our day and we're at home and we're just trying to get things done. And it's going to get harder and harder and harder to live with a sense of rhythm. And we suffer, we struggle as human beings because it's not the way we were originally designed. We were designed to live in this rhythm of six on, one off. Six one, on, off. And we thrive when we live in that rhythm. Now, uh, you know, I, I know what some of you are, are saying right now. Some of you are listening to this right now and you're saying, okay, Brian, that's great. That's awesome that God created this world to live like that. And it's great that in the Garden of Eden, that's the way that God operated, the six on, one off, this rhythm. How nice that, you know, there was a Sabbath and everything kind of stopped on this one day. But here's the deal. We don't live in the Garden of Eden, right? That's not the world we live in. The demands of my job, the demands of my kids, that's just not, surely God wouldn't still expect us to live in Sabbath rhythm, right? Surely that's not something he would expect still today. And what's interesting is if you go forward in the story of Scripture, you get to the story of the Exodus. And so God's people have been in Egypt for 400 years, and for most of that time, they have been slaves. They've been property. Now, when you're a slave... There is no day off, 
Every day looks exactly the same. You work all day long, all week long, nothing ever changed. In fact, that's sort of the definition of hopelessness is that tomorrow is going to look exactly like today. There is no rhythm. There is no break. Every day is just exactly the same. That's the life of a slave. And so uh, when God leads them out of Egypt, when he sets them free and calls them to be his people, in the desert, he gives them 10 commandments. You can find those in Exodus chapter 20, or they're restated again in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And so this is commandment number four that God gives the people of Israel after they've just been set free from being slaves in Egypt. We'll read it here in Deuteronomy 5. It says this, observe the Sabbath day. Guys, turn my mic off. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it what? Holy. Holy. As the Lord your God has commanded you, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your town, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. And why are we doing this? Because you're supposed to remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. There's a couple things I'd love to just kind of point out about this passage. I love this passage, first of all, just because I love the fact that God literally says, hey, everybody gets a Sabbath. He's commanding this and he's saying, the fourth commandment, even your animals get a day off. Your pets get get a day off. Uh, If there's an immigrant living among you, they get a day off. If there's any refugees, any foreigners, they get a day off as well. Everybody as as a whole society gets it. I just love that about God. It's not just, you know, certain people and, and places of privilege. It's everybody gets the day. The second thing I love about that passage of Scripture is that God actually affirms that we are supposed to work. You know, calling the people out of Egypt, former slaves. This is after the Garden of Eden. God literally says, six days you shall work. There's this idea that work is is part of the way we've been created. We're supposed to have meaningful work uh, that we're supposed to find purpose and meaning in and contribution to the world in. Six days we're supposed to work and, and pursue and find meaning in that. That's the way we were designed. Sometimes we talk about Sabbath and it's like, man, all God cares about is me not working. No, God cares about your work. Every single person, no matter what you do, work is meaningful and it brings purpose to our lives. Now, some of you right now, especially the type A's, you're you're just like, yeah, get them, pastor. Yeah, talk to those lazy people. That generation, you know, right? Some of you are just like, yeah, get them. I love work. I love when I get to work. I love working. In fact, I hate when in any reason I have to stop working. Some of you were off this past week, <laughs> and it was just horrible for you uh, being off of work. You're just like, man, I don't know what to do with myself. It, it, what I want you to hear, what I want you to remember is that the Sabbath was given to slaves. When you're a slave, you don't get a day off. When you're a slave, you, you don't get a break. And so Exodus 20, this, the fourth commandment, was to help, was basically God pursuing his people again. It was God reaching out and giving them this gift of Sabbath and saying, this is the way you were originally designed to live. You've gotten away from it. 
And it's God calling his people back to this rhythm of life that we thrive and we flourish in. Six on, one off. Six on, one off. That's what God did for his people. It was not something that was just supposed to define the Garden of Eden. It was something that was meant to be for any people who are being set free and learning to align their lives with God. And so the Sabbath is essentially, it's this foretaste of heaven. It's this little taste of like what eternity with God is supposed to be like. So um, we've talked a little bit about what Sabbath is. We've talked about why it matters, why it's important. I would love to shift gears here for a moment and talk a little bit about, so how do you do this? How do you practice Sabbath? How do we implement that into our lives? And so um, just as kind of a disclaimer, these are just, these are not like, hey, you should go do this. This is me hopefully giving you some helpful ideas of how to try to do it. Uh, my wife, Carrie, and I, over the years, we've gone through several different iterations of trying to do the Sabbath, of trying to practice Sabbath uh, together and as a family. And um, I don't know if you've noticed, but like uh, Sunday is not exactly like a day off for me. I have this gig that I do on Sundays. And so um, we've had to get creative with how do we actually live this? How do we actually practice Sabbath? And um, you probably will too. You'll probably have to get creative too. At different seasons of your life, it might look different than it does at other seasons of your life. But the point is, begin to explore how do we live this out? How do we actually live in this intentional rhythm of six on and one off? Because you'll be better for it. So here's just a few thoughts. Some of these are my own thoughts. Some of these are things that other people have said to me and that I've found helpful in our journey over the years. Um, So the first one is make a commitment to Sabbath rhythm as a family. So if mom decides to take a Sabbath, but nobody else in the family does, not only will nobody take a Sabbath, mom will actually not get a Sabbath either. That's how that works. Right? This is something we have to do as a family. We have to make a commitment to Sabbath rhythm together as a family. And if you're saying, well, I'm a single person, well, well, then make a commitment to Sabbath rhythm with whoever it is that you do life with together. This is meant to be practiced communally with a group of people. If you say, well, I'm a single person and I don't have anybody that I do life with, I would love to talk with you after the service is over then. I would like to get you connected to one of our small groups that's starting up again here in the new year. Because our intention for every single person at Frontline is that they would be connected in a group to some other people who are doing life together. That's something we want for everybody. But, But this is what we do. We make a commitment and we have to do it as a family as a group. Secondly, create clear boundaries as a family of when it starts and when it ends. (laughs) This is so important. If you don't do that, if you don't make a clear boundary of saying, this is when it starts, this is the, the artificial start time, the artificial stop time. If you don't do that, then everybody will kind of just sort of interpret it however they want and fudge the numbers and eventually you won't even be practicing it. You won't do it anymore. You have to get really clear and intentional and agree on here's when it starts, here's when it ends. Thirdly, Prepare to take a break. This is so key to understanding how to live in Sabbath rhythm. You have to actually have to prepare and structure your time, the six days that you're on, in order to be able to take a break. If you don't do that, you'll find yourself on your Sabbath just sort of running through an obstacle course trying to get all this work done so that you can take a break. You'll just end up trading work that you didn't get done during the week for, other, you know, for that day so you can catch up and get other work done. So in fact, for the Jewish people, the day before the Sabbath, they refer to it as the day of preparation. That's how they refer to the day before the Sabbath. So if you don't prepare to take a break, literally the morning of you'll come, oh, it's our Sabbath. Let's make pancakes together. And you'll open up the fridge and you'll go, oh, there's no milk. 
Uh, oh, I forgot to buy the pancake mix. Hold on, I'm just going to go to the store. I'm, I'll be right back. And then at the store, your wife texts you, can you get bananas and broccoli and, uh, you know, whatever, scotch tape. I mean, these are the kind of lists I get, right? And suddenly you're not, now you're running through this obstacle course. You, you're not work, you're actually not taking a break. You're working so that you can eventually take a break. You got to prepare. You got to plan your, your time to be able to do it. And then lastly, be together as much as possible. Be together as much as possible on the Sabbath. In fact, not just with your immediate family, with your church family. There's a reason why historically for centuries the church made it a priority to gather together and worship Jesus together you know, collectively on the Sabbath day as part of the Sabbath celebration. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to live in this rhythm and structure our time and be together and gather together to worship and to honor God together. Am I saying that church attendance matters? Yes, that's what I'm saying. It's a great thing to think about it in this, in this new year is how do we structure our time? How do we make that a priority? So th- these are just a few thoughts of how to actually go about implementing Sabbath. And here's the thing. I hope every single one of you will do this. I hope it'll, you'll make it part of your new year to say, I want to get back to the way we were originally designed and begin to live into the Sabbath rhythm. You will be healthier for it emotionally, mentally, spiritually, relationally. But here's what I want you to hear. If, if all you do with this sermon and all you take away from this sermon is, hey, I need to go and try harder to Sabbath better, Uh, then you will have missed the biggest point that the scriptures make about the Sabbath, and I will have failed you as your pastor. Because actually, the, the most important thing that the Bible teaches about the Sabbath is not just the idea that you need to take a Sabbath. The most important thing that the Bible talks about the Sabbath is actually that the Sabbath points to something greater than itself. The Sabbath is there to teach us how to live in this intentional rhythm and align ourselves with God so that we are pointed toward the thing that the Sabbath is really all about. The Sabbath pointed towards something much greater. Jesus understood this. When Jesus came in the New Testament, he he stepped into a religious system where the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they knew Sabbath. They were amazing at practicing Sabbath. They were way better than you or I or any pastor you know has ever practiced Sabbath. They were Sabbath masters. They were so good at it. They had all these rules about what you couldn't do on the Sabbath, and they enforced those rules, and Jesus was so annoyed with them. He was so irritated with them. In fact, over and over again, he has uh, these conflicts with the religious leaders about the Sabbath. And it's, it's because the reason he's so frustrated is because even though they were practicing Sabbath, even though they were doing it and living it, they had failed to understand what the Sabbath actually pointed toward. They had completely missed the entire point of the Sabbath. And so what Jesus does, he, he says it in multiple places in Mark 2 and Matthew 12. There's a couple other places in the Gospels. He, he makes this statement. He says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. What was he saying there? He wasn't saying, hey, I know more about Sabbath than you do. You guys think you're so smart. I Sabbath better than you Sabbath. I'm the best Sabbather of all. That's not what Jesus was saying. That's not what I am Lord of the Sabbath means. What he was literally saying was, you failed to understand the Sabbath points to me. The Sabbath was ultimately fulfilled in in the person of Jesus. It pointed toward him, that he was the one who had come to be the ultimate rest, the ultimate foretaste of heaven. 
he makes this incredible, profound statement. We miss it a lot of times, how it's connected to Sabbath. Matthew 11, starting in verse 28, Jesus makes this invitation. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What Jesus is literally saying there is he's saying, come to me and you will find Shabbat for your souls. You'll find Sabbath for your souls. Yeah, if you practice Sabbath, absolutely, it'll help you. You'll live a better life. Physically, it will restore you. But it won't ultimately give you the rest that your soul at the deepest level desires and needs. Jesus said, you come to me, I'm the only one who can give you Shabbat for your soul, ultimate rest. Sabbath, you know, gave the slaves from Egypt a break from their work. But in Christ, Jesus came that we would no longer be slaves to our sin, that we would be set free from the curse of sin. And so when we repent of our sin, when we come to Jesus and we put our faith and we put our trust in him, and we learn that as a rhythm of our lives, what happens is he gives us rest, ultimate rest, true rest from the curse of sin. From, from, he gives us rest certainly from our own shame and our own guilt from the sins that we've committed, absolutely, for sure. But also, he gives us rest from the anger, the bitterness, the resentment, the unforgiveness that we carry for, toward other people because of their sins against us. He actually becomes the true rest for that so that we're not living out of that anymore. Jesus comes and get, we can find in him rest from the performance trap, the perfectionism trap, where I have to perform and I have to outperform and do better and better and better because that's where my value comes from. Jesus says, come to me. The Sabbath pointed to me. I am Lord of the Sabbath, and in me you can find Shabbat for your soul, true rest. But how could Jesus say that? How could he make a claim like that? If you or I or anybody else in our world made a claim like that, it would be like megalomania, right? The reason Jesus could make that claim, I am the Lord of the Sabbath, come to me and you will find Shabbat for your souls. The reason he could say that is because at the end of Jesus' life, as he hung there on the cross with his final breath, breathing his last, his final words were, it is finished. Jesus finished his work on the cross. And when Jesus' work was finished on the cross, now we can rest from our work of trying to redeem ourselves, save ourselves, prove ourselves in him. He actually, his finished work on the cross, paid the price, set us free from the curse of sin and death so that in him, when we come to him, we can have true rest. And that, my friends, will take the rest of your life to figure out how to really live into an experience every day. Resting in Jesus is the hardest work you will ever do. And I say that because you can take a Sabbath from your work and it'll restore you a little bit physically. But learning how to live in that abiding life, learning how to come to Jesus every single day, to live in this rhythm where you literally come to him for, for true rest for your soul. You turn away from your own uh, designs. You turn away from your own 
um, worry, your own anxiety, your own efforts, your own anger, your own solutions. Come to me, Jesus says. That's the invitation. And you can find true rest. And I'm still trying to figure it out every single day how to, how to live into that. I could do Sabbath. I, we figured that out a long time ago. But learning how to live in that true rest is something that every single day I've got to learn how to do. Would you bow your heads with me? So Jesus, as we come to you, we, we heed that invitation, Jesus, and that, that's exactly what we want to do this morning. We just want to come to you, start of a new year. God, we want to turn away from all the other ways that we try to um, experience rest. For some of us, it's uh, we try to find rest in things that just destroy us, in substances or in relationships or in, in things that absolutely can take life from us. And so we want this, Lord, to be a year where we we come to you to not only live the way you've originally designed us to live, of this rhythm of six and one of Sabbath, but to experience the thing that Sabbath ultimately points to. It's, it's you, Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that every single one of us, that we would be able to find true rest for our souls in you. Show us how to live into that. Show us how to seek you in that. Show us how to trust you every single day of our lives in that. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said...